If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 25 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week, we are going to be recapping the UFC 226 card that went down last week, July 7th, 2018. And we are going to be previewing the UFC card happening in Boise, Idaho, this Saturday night, July 14th, 2018. This is going to be the first episode of Martian Mixed Martial Arts not recorded uh, in a uh, singular location, you could say. I am currently driving home from the New Jersey shore back to Philadelphia at the moment, and uh, I'll be doing this podcast while I'm driving, so hope there's not too much background noise. I gave it some test runs, and uh, hopefully there's not too much other uh, you know, car-sounding noise throughout the drive, but I don't think there will be, and I think we're in for a good episode because I want to talk about UFC 226 for a good, a good amount of time because UFC 226 is one of the most uh, sincere pay-per-views of, of all time. You know, with the main, uh, the ending main event uh, and just how it turned out and, and uh, Daniel Cormier's post-fight uh, speech, it was just uh, an incredible, incredible moment. We won't talk about that right away. We will start with the first fights on the card. Um, on the preliminary card, we had Emily Whitmire defeating Jamie Moyle by decision. Uh, pretty big, uh, uh, I wouldn't say pretty big upset. I think uh, although Moyle opened around plus or minus 250 somehow, um, you know, uh, so pretty big, uh, pretty big upset according to the odds makers. You know, the public obviously bet her down a little bit more, but uh, Whitmire was still around plus 150, 160 when uh, the fight uh, closed and she um, won. So, uh, pretty impressive performance, you know, she outgrappled Jamie Moyle, people thought that Moyle was going to be able to take her down and bully her, but she, the opposite happened, and, uh, you know, she had a pretty cool, uh, post-fight, um, win, or post-fight speech, excuse me, where she, uh, called out, uh, her jiu-jitsu coach, Vinny Maglaheas, for, uh, he, he said that he wasn't going to corner her opponent, and he, she double-checked with him and triple-checked, and he said, no, no, I'm not cornering against you, and then he went ahead and cornered for her opponent, and so she told him to go fuck himself in the octagon, and that was pretty cool, and she also said that you're not a, a UFC fighter until you win in the UFC, which is, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't... It's a little bit of a you know half and half statement. I believe the commentators said something. Like, what do you? How do you feel about that? And I mean, I don't totally agree with that. I mean, if you get signed to the UFC and you're oh no, I'm okay with you identifying as a UFC fighter because you signed the contract. So I don't you know fully agree with that. But you know, for a, from a personal standpoint, I'm sure that a lot of fighters don't think they're you know legitimate until they get that win. So kind of misconstrued uh, meaning of that but regardless uh, moving on to the next fight we had uh, Dan Hooker defeat uh, Gilbert Burns by knockout in the first round 
Uh, pretty tense fight. Um, you know, these guys are really, really evenly matched up. They both looked really, really good lately, coming off a couple uh, finishes in a row for the both of them. Um, so we knew that this one was going to be uh, very action-packed and like, a close matchup, in which it was. It looked like Gilbert Burns um, sort of gave up in this one. Not gave up, but he he realized that uh, his game plan wasn't working. He tried going for takedowns, and they were unsuccessful. He was getting beat in the stand-up and just started winging power shots, which is, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, violent way to go out, I would say. It's a very, you know, uh, cage fighter way to, uh, to you know, choose to, to lose. A lot of people would just try to keep implementing their takedowns or, you know, just lose the decision, you know, sticking on the outside. But Gilbert Burns just said fuck it and decided to go balls to the wall and he got knocked out. So, you know, Dan Hooker looked really, really good in this fight. Uh, you know, pretty much he's just beating better and better opponents honestly uh you know finishing them in you know the early rounds with his really really uh excellent striking so i can see him definitely being in the top 10 getting a top 10 opponent next uh for sure i'm really excited to see what he looks like uh in the future dan hooker because he's improving massively he's got huge power he's massive for 155 um so I think that uh, he could be a potential top 10 guy by the, by the end of the year. Well, one more win, honestly. Uh, in the next fight, we had Curtis Melender defeat Max Griffin by decision. Max Griffin won the first round of this fight by uh, using a lot of pressure and even getting a takedown on Melender. Melender looked pretty uncomfortable on the ground. We've seen, we didn't really get to see him on the ground much in the Thiago Alves fight, but he was on the ground and, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying he looked like uh, like a fish out of water in this one because, uh, you know, he looked pretty uncomfortable, didn't really have too much uh, takedown defense or uh, ability to get up from the takedown, but a great game plan change on him and his coaches. After the first round, they realized that he got taken down, they can't let it happen again, totally switched his game plan, um, shifted the momentum of the fight, and won the latter two rounds. Um, you know, Chris Munder was the favorite in this one, and the, the lot, this was the first uh, fight on UFC, or uh, uh, Fox Sports 1, excuse me. So this was the first fight that was available for live betting, and uh, the, it, was, it was certainly a good one because uh, Max Griffin won the first round, and you could have gotten... Curtis Mullender at pretty good odds, and he ended up coming back and winning the latter two rounds. So, uh, good performance from Melender on the adjustment and the second two rounds, but obviously got to work on that takedown defense and uh, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, all of that is, is uh, extremely lacking. You know, not unexpected considering he is a kickboxer with a lot of kickboxing experience, but still making some pretty good waves in MMA. In the next fight, we had Drakkar Close defeat Lando Venata 30-27 on all three scorecards. This was just like an outclassing from Drakkar Close. Pretty unexpected. Lando Venata was a pretty sizable favorite in this one. Not quite 2-1, to one, but I think around minus 190. And uh, he looked kind of helpless, you know. Uh, Drakkar seemed like the person who um, was able to game plan better, learn from their losses to David Tamer while Lando Venata just really uh, seemed to be struggling with adjusting and getting his game, uh, his stylistic, you know, uh, technique down in, in the UFC because he's kind of all over the place. 
he, he does, is a good wrestler, I believe, but he doesn't really use it that much. He just stays uh, striking. But the Dracar Close looked really good, accurate, and powerful in this one. And uh, he could, uh, again, break into the top 15 some, with one more win, I believe. Um, next fight, we had Rafael Asuncao, uh beat Rob Font, 30-27, all three scorecards. Pretty, uh, pretty typical Rafael Asuncao performance. Uh, untypical in the first round, he was able to rock Rob Font with a punch. He doesn't really uh, have two heavy hands, and, but he was able to hit uh, Font pretty hard to wobble him. Um, didn't, wasn't able to capitalize on the finish, and then just coasted the next two to three rounds out and uh, won a decision. So, like I said, kind of typical in his fashion to not really chase the finish and just go for a decision. He does that in the majority of his fights. You know, Rob Font, no scorecards was a bet I was on in this fight, so I was pretty worried about him getting finished. Uh, it would have been... Uh, a Sun's House first finish over a pretty high-level opponent in a long time. You know, he, he beat um, Matthew Lopez uh, by knockout a few months back, but that was a late, uh, short-notice fight, and again, nowhere near his skill level, so uh, kind of expecting that one. But uh, yeah, A Sun's House look, looks good, man. I mean, he's 12-1 and one in his past 13. He's really, really consistent. The fact that he was like, you know, minus 150 or something in this fight is insane. Um, people just, you know, I don't know, the people were just weren't too confident in him, maybe a little more confident in Font. Font looked really bad, couldn't adjust to anything, and, you know, that first punch really rang his bell, and he just wasn't the same, couldn't get anything going from then on out, and uh, lost the fight pretty decisively. So I would like to see Rafael Sunsau fight Dominic Cruz next. That seems like a pretty, uh, pretty great matchup. Um... Next fight we have Paulo Costa defeating Uriah Hall. Man, what a crazy fight this was. Last fight on the prelims. I was on Uriah Hall as a dog in this one. He was around plus 355 at some points. Uh, it, the fight opened a lot lower than that, but pe the public just uh, bet on Paulo Costa massively. And, uh, you know, there's a big hype, cha hype train behind him. He's coming off a bunch of knockouts in a row, just been smoking people. Looks like, you know, the uh, Mr. Mr. Brazil, you know, the best bodybuilder in Brazil. And, um, you know, he, his, his skill's pretty raw, though. You know, he's pretty much just like a, a heavy puncher. Doesn't really have too many kicks. Uh, Uriah didn't really attempt any takedowns. And Uriah was just trying to strike with him. Which he was, he was doing well, you know. He was, he was losing the fight, but he was in it. He was in the entire fight. The first round, I believe, Borshina won. He was able to land some pretty heavy shots. Uh, Uriah Hall was, you know, using his jab a lot to keep him away. And it was working uh, for some parts of the fight, but not in the long run. And in the second round, after it, it looked like the momentum was shifting in Uriah's way. It looked like Paul was starting to get tired, and uh, Hall weathered the early storm, and he was starting to land heavy shots on him. And then Borshina came back with a crazy flurry of strikes and ended up rocking Uriah. Look, didn't look like he knocked Uriah out. It looked like he knocked, he hit Uriah with a punch. Uriah just like fell down and couldn't get up it, it, it did not look like a, a massive knockdown it looked like Uriah was you know they were both extremely gassed I mean it was a barn burner of a fight probably you know 80 some punches thrown in eight minutes by the both of them 
Um, so it was, I understand, like, the, the collapse from exhaustion, but that's that's what it more looked like. They were, so, I mean, good performance from Costa. He's definitely got to work on his gas tank, and, I mean, he could probably go a long way in the 185-pound division. Um, someone, you know, it was funny. We have two strikers. We had uh, the tough finale, which also happened this past weekend, which we could, we, uh, I'll probably uh, look over the card and see if there's anything uh, worth mentioning on that one after we cover UFC two, uh, 226, but uh, the tough card we had, Israel Adesanya looked terrific, you know, a, a young 185 striker uh, is, you know, looking super, super good, and um, we had Paula Bush, you know, young, young 185 striker, looked super good on Saturday, and uh, Dana White asked the question, it was asked the question of maybe, do you, like, you know, I think that uh, they both maybe said that they would be interested in, in this fight. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, no, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like he would do that. Like, we would put our two, our two new, new uh, prospects against one another. Uh, like, it's so obvious that, like, there's, there's, there's some manipulation behind, you know, picking fights at this point. It, it's just so obvious they need some sort of mandatory system for challengers and to legitimize the rankings somehow. When you have two... You know, they would be they're, they're pro, if they they're both probably ranked right now. I, I guarantee you, it's probably like you know, ten and eleven. And uh, just because they're both like you know young prospects, Dana White's like, oh no, we would never match them up together. We're gonna we're gonna you know, you know, bloom them out into stars separately because that's what the business is about. Um, so that kind of is disappointing. Um, so yeah, I mean, like how that'd be such an interesting fight, Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Borshina. Um, but I mean, it's just something that we're, we're probably not going to see uh, anytime soon, or maybe even ever. So well, we're going to move on to the main card. In the main card, we had uh, a hell of a main card, honestly. Uh, only one bad fight. We had five upsets. The underdogs went five for five on this card. So to start things off, we had Khalil Roundtree Jr. versus Gokan Saki. Khalil Roundtree Jr. wins by knockout in the first round, 96 seconds into the fight. Who saw this coming? You know, Gokan Saki, one of the best heavyweight, light heavyweight kickboxers of all time. You know, 88 wins. We went over his resume last time, uh, last podcast, and I was shocked that he his value was at minus 135, saying that he was only you know, uh, let me uh, only something like 60% likely to win the fight. I'm like, you're crazy. He's a you know, going against Clear Roundtree Jr. has been beaten, beaten cans. You know, looked all right, but uh, man, uh, I don't know what happened in this fight with Gokan Saki. He just wasn't in there, and uh, you know, Clear he just wasn't taking Clear Roundtree seriously. And uh, Junior Clear Roundtree Jr. landed a straight left right down the pipe that totally leveled Gokan Saki. You know, these four-ounce gloves are no joke. It's nothing compared to big boxing, kickboxing gloves that he's used to. And, uh, man, he got absolutely leveled with this punch. Just went flying through the air, landed a little bit of ground and pound to follow it up, and that sealed the deal. Uh, You know, Gokan Saki uh, upset. Um, You know, this was, I mean... Like I said, the odds were close on this one. Somehow, some people knew that this one was going to be close. But man, I, I, I think most of like the casual audience, you know, and a lot of a lot of hardcore fans too were were very confident in Gokan Saki. So, 
I congratulate the people who saw Roundtree Jr. Uh, get the win in this one. But I also feel a little bit upset because for you guys because, you know, his value didn't seem like it, it was, you know, right. You know, plus 135 against one of the best heavyweight strikers of all time. You know, it's not a good price. So, uh, interesting result to say the least. Um, you definitely see Kula uh, Roundtree Jr. crack into the rankings after this one. Next fight, we had Anthony Pettis defeat Michael Chiesa by triangle armbar in the second round. Man, incredible fight. Was really cheering for Pettis in this one. Didn't have any bets on the fight. Chiesa just looks like so stupid, man. He, this guy's like six foot one, has got the ugliest tattoos, like with the weirdest tattoos all over his body, like these weird, vibrant colors. He's got long hair down to his shoulders. He, it's and he fights like a total dweeb. Like he he makes hand signals every time you throw a punch to like indicate if you got him or not. So the I mean you know it was a close fight. I thought Pettis won the round, the first round. I thought he was looking good. And in the start of the second round, uh, you know, Pettis was just sharp, went in, looked like he was uh, really, you know, coming out aggressive. He looked like he had Kiesa beat and uh, got back to his old roots and got the finish in this one. Uh, landed a beautiful body kick, which Kiesa took his time to shake his finger in, in Pettis' face like it didn't, like it didn't actually uh, hurt him or anything. So uh, Pettis throws a, a feint, gets him to flinch. And then nails him with a straight right punch, rocks him on his ass. Um, Pettis goes down on the ground, secures the uh, triangle position, goes for the arm instead, and gets the triangle armbar. Excellent submission, great finish, just total vintage. Anthony Pettis was so so happy to see him get this done, man. Um, just great performance from him. He's been really struggling to get things going lately. You know, lost his last fight. Uh, had a fight canceled against Michael Chiesa back in April. So uh, ma- imagine it feels amazing to get this one. And it was just a great performance. Uh, and the, the right guy won. You know, like I said, Chiesa was fighting like such a bitch. So um, the next fight, we had Mike Perry defeat Paul Felder by a split decision somehow. Uh, I thought it was a clear unanimous, you know, 29-28. Could even argue 30-27 for Perry. Round one was pretty close. That would be the round that I might give to Paul Felder. And uh, rounds two and three were just clear Mike Perry rounds, man. Mike Perry looks super improved. I was, you know, he was pretty raw. Or in his first couple of fights, he was pretty technical. He had some technical boxing, a lot of power. Um, and it wasn't really, it was beating guys and not early, but he was beating guys pretty, pretty easily. And then started to face some higher level uh, opponents. Ran into some challenges, took some losses, you know, I, I believe lost three or four fights and decided it was time to change camps and go to an, a real uh, a real big gym. And that gym was Jackson Winklejohn in Albuquerque, um, you know, a very established camp uh, career-wise all time. Uh, but, you know, they haven't been doing so well lately. Uh, you know, it's not like they're doing terrible. They were in way more of a slump a couple months ago, even last year. But they're nowhere near as elite as they were acclaimed to be, you know, a few years ago. We obviously know about their uh, their problems with John Jones, and you know the fact that John Jones might have hid hid from USADA at uh, Jackson Wink. So you know, it's very like I said, not not an elite uh, camp. There's definitely some criticisms of the camp. So 
Uh, I wasn't, you know, worried that he was going to get any worse there. He was definitely going to improve. I knew he would have slight improvements. It could be, but man, this guy really improved. He improved his cardio, his discipline, his accuracy, his defense. Uh, and uh, the, the best part about it was on the microphone. You know, I think Mike Perry wins a couple a couple years ago and he was, you know, acting, you know, saying like, that's what the fuck I'm talking about. Knock this motherfucker out. You know, acting all tough and... Today, he just said, you know, on the microphone uh, Saturday, he said, I want to thank all the fans for coming out. This shit was so much fun. Thank you for Paul Felder. That was amazing. I just won my first decision in the UFC, so I'm happy about that. He's like, I never never saw that coming. Uh, and, you know, just seemed really matured on the mic. He uh, really matured in the ring, too. And uh, really happy that he won this fight. It was close, bloody war, man. Fight of the night. These guys were back and forth. Felder was never out of it. Felder uh, broke his hand on a, or broke his arm or hand or wrist on a spinning back fist in the first round and just kept fighting through it. Kept throwing the fucking broken arm anyway. Just didn't care. Was throwing the spinning back fist. The same exact strike he broke the wrist on. He was throwing it with the same hand. The dude's fucking crazy. Uh, you know, crazy cuts from punches, elbows, headbutts. These guys are bloody mess. It was an amazing, amazing fight. And uh, very, very happy for uh, you know for the both of them. I, th- I hope Paul Felder. Uh, I don't know. I think Paul Felder could probably go back down to 155. He did look, you know, sizable for 170. He did look like the the right size, but he hasn't really. I don't know if he's. I think he's obviously struggled with weight cut. Everyone struggles with the weight cut. I don't think he's missed weight before, though. So, I mean, if you can still make the 155, man, you might you might as well do it. I mean, he's looking. He he won three fights in a row that uh, at 155, all by way of uh, knockout via elbows. I mean, the dude's just a killer. So, I think, like I said, I think that's the right move is to go back down to 155. But still, he came in, put on a good show at 170, proved that he could hang at that division. Uh, for maybe a later move in his career so with that being said we will move on to the co-main event we had Derek Derek Lewis defeating Francis Ngannou by way of decision Uh, man this fight was something Uh, one of the worst fights in UFC history honestly for sure one of the lowest output least exciting terrible fights in UFC history and we were our expectations were so high for this one you know that like we're talking about two huge knockout big black dudes scary looking you know terrifying everyone thought you know the black beast versus Engano you know uh, this one was this one this shit looked like it should have happened in uh the Black Panther or something like that, but man, we had uh, Francis Ngannou land, landed 11 strikes in 15 minutes, and you know I don't know the official numbers for Derek Lewis, but I, it was just it was just insane. Like Derek Lewis was just walking forward a little bit more, was throwing a little bit of punches, and Francis was just walking back and doing nothing. So, you know, the judges gave the fight to Lewis. I think 30-27. But man, you could argue this fight's a draw. Neither guy did anything. Derek Lewis didn't land like a single hard punch all the fight. It was just like the octagon tr- control and how bad Francis looked is what lost in this fight. It was insane. 
Um, you know, people saying, man, you know, Francis was paid by the bookies to lose. You know, being that Fran- Derek Lewis is somehow a 3-1 to one underdog in this one, it's not impossible, you know, but it's, it's extremely, extremely unlikely. What's way more likely is that homeboy... Francis Ngannou was still terrified and embarrassed from his loss to Stipe Miocic only six or seven months ago, and he just hasn't recovered, which is 100% the case. I wouldn't say 100, I would say 99% the case. 1% he got bribed by the bookies. So, you know, so he comes into the UFC, wins six fights in a row, all six by stoppage, five by knockout, one by submission. Is you know is fighting Stipe Miocic for the world title. All the promos have him as like you know showing his highlights, saying he's a world beater. He's like the best you know heavyweight you know contender we've seen in forever. He looks like a terrifying beast. He built up his ego around him like he was an indestructible. He went into the fight. He lost. He lost badly. He looked terrible. He was broken by Stipe Miocic. He was totally nullified. He real he was you know Stipe beat him handily 50 44 something like that you know so it's it's not really too incredible that this happened i mean i definitely i, I definitely didn't bet on francis Ngano. in fact i even bet a little bit on uh Derek lewis you know going back thinking about it like the live the live odds for this one were crazy Derek lewis still an underdog after the first round i think it might have went to evens after the second round you know it was minus 120, minus 120 after the round two because no one knew what the fuck was happening. And everyone kept saying, they kept saying to the commentator, maybe Francis is worried about his gas tank and is going to unleash all of his bombs in round three. I was like, yeah, maybe that, maybe that's what he's doing. But I, that's a certainly strange game plan. And, uh, you know, that's why he was minus 120 is because everyone was like, all right, come on. Like, when the fuck is, like, he going to show? Is he going to wake up? And it never happened, you know. He even in the third round, he did not unleash a barrage or anything like that. He just kept doing his normal nothing, and you know, you know, the fight ended. So the commentators were shitting all over this fight. Joe Rogan was saying how incredible like it was. This fight was this bad, and they were pretty honest with it. So pretty cool about that. Not really, you know, making trying to make shit shine. You know, they're just you know calling it like it is, which is nice to see. So, the next fight, the main event for the heavyweight title, the super fight, the light heavyweight champ, Dan Cormier versus the heavyweight champ, Stipe Miocic, ends by knockout by in first round, around 4 minutes and 30 seconds, I don't know the exact time, of the first round, Dan Cormier wins the heavyweight belt and becomes the second, two, the si- second simultaneous double champ in UFC history. What an incredible moment, you know. Daniel Cormier was weighing in at 205 for his fight in January while Miocic weighed 240. You know, Daniel Cormier defended his belt against Vulcan. They set up the fight that night. He, you know, put on his weight. He had a training camp. He looked, he weighed in heavier than Miocic. He looked, he's, they said his power was back. He was knocking dudes out. He was able to retain so much power at heavyweight, just like he was knocking dudes out back in strike force. And you know that was you know you you hear a lot of things from a camp when 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 the when leading up to the fight you don't know how many of them are true but this shit was true it was facts you could tell you could see this fight you know Daniel Cormier is six inches shorter than Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier was boxing him the fuck up man he was throwing jabs that were 
rocking Stipe's head back and making like Stipe like shake his head out. Like he's like, man, that's a hard jab. Like you could tell like he was Stipe's eyes were cut up, his nose was swollen, you know, three or four minutes into the fight and they said that and like, man, Stipe is already wearing it. And that like, you know, and man, DC was clearly winning the round. He was looking good. Uh, you know, the fight I was watching on a, on a, on a stream. They're usually about 40 seconds, 40, 50 uh, seconds behind. Uh, I go to glance at the live bets as the clock hits around 35 seconds to see what the lines are in between rounds. And I see that there's no lines. And I looked at the TV with wide eyes and I said, oh shit, what's, ha- what's about to come? And I see them clinch up. Daniel Cormier engages in the clinch and as they separate, he throws a picture-perfect right hook that rocks Stipe Miocic, sends him down on the canvas, and DC, DC pounds Miocic's head into the canvas with two or three more shots for the knockout. Mark Goddard steps in, ends the fight. Two-weight world champion Daniel Cormier. It was one of the most incredible fights I've ever seen. You know, there's a couple fights that, you know, stand out as just absolutely incredible. You know, the biggest fights, you know, the McGregor fights, you know, uh, McGregor when he knocked out Aldo didn't stand out, you know. Uh, you know, so, but, you know, but, you know, McGregor Diaz, both of them, McGregor Alvarez, uh, poor, uh, Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, some of them just stick out as certain memories when you have an intuition of how it's going to play out. Now, I thought DC was going to win this fight. I bet on DC at plus 215. He ended at plus 145 before all the money came in. You know, I believed in he was going to win. I didn't know how the hell he was going to win, uh, but I knew that he wanted this more. I knew that, you know, it was his destiny to be able to do this. Uh, you know, he had... You know, just a little backstory on Daniel Cormier. He was a he came. He was a world beater, heavyweight and strike force. Won the Grand Prix tournament as a substitute. Uh, comes over to the UFC. His best friend Cain Velasquez, the UFC heavyweight champion. He's fighting in heavyweight. He's beating dudes up, and he decides, you know what? I, I my fr- my best friend's the champion. I can't fight the champion. I'm going down to light heavyweight. Despite the fact that he's 240, 250, 260. He decided, you know what, I'll diet down to 205. You know, I can do it. He diets down. He wins a couple fights. He beats Patrick Cummins, Dan Henderson. He, uh, you know, he, get, he gets a title shot against uh, John Jones. And, uh, you know, it doesn't go his way. He John Jones ends up getting suspended. He wins John's belt in his absence uh, against Rumble Johnson. He beats Alexander Gustafson. He, you know, gets injured for the Jones rematch. He's supposed to rematch Jones again, and it gets ripped away from him three days before because Jones tests positive. He fights Anderson Silva on short notice and gets booed out of the arena. He he beats Anderson Silva, the legend, 30-27, and gets booed out of the arena by the fans, um, you know, uh, eventually comes back. He loses to John Jones in their eventual rematch. You know, cries in the octagon, loses his belt by knockout. Uh, you know, really a heartbreaking moment was, you know, made into like a meme on the internet, just totally made fun of by, you know, casual fans and people who don't know his story. And, uh, you know, comes back less than a year later, wins his belt back against Volkan Ozdemir, 
comes back and wins the heavyweight belt against Stipe Miocic. Man, what an what an incredible career he had. Is he put his best friend ahead of his ahead of himself? You know, he knew Cain Velasquez was his best friend. He couldn't fight him. He went down in the meantime, and he comes back. You know, two or three years or more than that, four or five years later, and he gets that belt back that he wanted in the first place. Man. His post-fight interview made me cry. It was a, one of the greatest moments in, in UFC history, man. Like seeing, seeing all of the his his roller coaster of life that I just described. You uh, see it all unfold in the UFC, and his, his seeing his lowest of lows, and seeing him at the top right now, number one pound for pound fighter in the fucking world. Daniel Cormier is the two weight world champ. Um, you know, just an incredible, incredible moment. We after after he has that his heartfelt moment when he says, "Man, I've come in second a lot of times, Joe Rogan, but tonight, tonight I'm number one, and it feels like the best, best thing in the world." And uh, after that, he grabs the microphone and cuts a WWE style pr- promo and saying that, "I've known a guy for a long time. He's a wrestler. You, you know, get your ass in here, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was in the arena earlier. We heard rumors about him being there." Daniel Cormier said that while he was warming up for the fight doing his sprints, he saw Brock, and he knew that Brock was here for a fight. So uh, he called out Brock afterwards. Brock comes in the octagon and pushes Cormier across the octagon for a dramatic scene. And Daniel Cormier says, push me now, boy, I'll knock you out later. So you, uh, Which is, uh, you know, it's it'll be, uh, you know, if the fight happens, it'll be insane. So what happened was... Brock Lesnar re-entered the USADA testing pool on, uh, on, I believe, July 3rd and needs to wait six months of drug testing before he can be eligible for a UFC fight. So it'll be interesting. You know, will Brock stay clean and be able to pass the drug test? Uh, I don't think so. Um, will the UFC find a way to work around it to make the fight anyway? I do think so. So it'll be interesting, man. You know, I think DC is, you know, obviously the better fighter, but he's, they looked absolutely like, there was, the size difference was absolutely gigantic. You know, Brock's probably pushing 300 pounds right now. DC at 245. Brock's got six, eight inches on him. And man, it was just an insane, insane differential. So who the hell knows? You know, DC's been fighting gigantic monsters in his entire life. He's been wrestling monsters, juiced up Russians, juiced up uh, Brazilians, all types of people, juiced up Americans. Um, so, you know, if the fight happens, it'll, we can talk about it down the line. The, the, I mean, the, I think they should put out a line. They already put out a line on who's the, you know, favorite uh, on, in the fight. Obviously, Dan Cormier, a two-to-one favorite. But they should put out lines on if the fight even happens, you know, before, you know, 2000. Jan- they say, all right, so, you know, I would, uh, J- June of 2019, it's not happening any time before. I mean, shit, man, they're going to have to go, they're going to have to go around USADA for it to happen. And they went around USADA the first time. He popped for steroids the first time. They got Mark, Mark Hunt has sued the UFC over it. They had a huge problem with everything. So I can't see them just totally, like, curving the entire process again. You know, they've already, the USADA has issued, a, you know, a, a comment saying that, yeah, he, he is, in fact, back in the testing pool, and he's eligible, I believe, January 8th, 2019. So 
who the hell knows, man? You know, Brock Lesnar is still signed with the WWE. You know, he always is going back and forth, manipulating Dana, manipulating Vince, getting whatever he wants. You know, it's insane. I believe he's still the fucking WWE champion. So, I mean, like, the dude's holding the belt for WWE, doing all this crazy stuff for UFC. I mean, let's hold our horses before we get excited for this fight. I'm not excited. You know, obviously, it's like a freak show of a fight and crazy. It'd be crazy to see. But, uh, you know, Brock came in the octagon, he cut a good promo, called Ngano a piece of shit, Miocha's a piece of shit, said, DC, I'm coming for you, motherfucker, and, you know, threw the mic into the camera, I was wearing some crazy outfit with boots, uh, and, you know, so, shit, man, he, uh... He knows how to cut a good promo, and DC DC is a big wrestling fan, a big wrestling fan, and he loves this shit. You know, uh, you know DC, you know losing his belt to John Jones, losing his uh, losing to John Jones, you know twice, uh, you know, coming up short on the Olympics, losing his uh, his first daughter in childbirth, you know a decade or so ago. You know, he's all turned it around and become the two-way champion. And now it's time for him to get his pay-per-view money. He obviously had a couple couple good pay-per-views with John Jones. Those both sold about eight hundred thousand. But uh, you know, this one against Brock Lesnar, man, he should he should rake in a million pay-per-view buys with that bitch. And uh, fucking Daniel or Brock Lesnar is about to fight for the heavyweight title in 2019. Like, how insane is that? Dude hasn't won an official like UFC fight since like 2011 or something like that man it's uh maybe 2012 i mean we all know he beat mark hunt in 2016 but technically it's a no decision or no contact excuse me but um you know uh like i said we'll hold our horses on if it's gonna happen yet and uh we'll uh we'll move on from one of the like i said one of the most uh, incredible moments ever first time i ever cried watching the ufc mma anything like that you know was uh it went from crying to laughter really quickly, you know, from the from the heartfelt DC promo to the, the outrageous Brock promo. So, real fun pay-per-view. The main card, like I said, five for five underdogs. Ended up winning on Derek Lewis and Daniel Cormier to get me out of a hole and broke even on the fights. So, it was a great card, you know, pretty good undercard as well. A lot of decisions, but, you know, still, still good performances. And uh, with that being said, we will move on to uh, let's, let's, a quick. Let's uh, let's mention the uh, the tough finale that happened uh, the night before the Ultimate Fighter 27 finale, which was headlined by Israel Adesanya versus Brad Tavares. So to start the the card off, we had Gerald uh, Michard defeat Oscar Pachoda by a uh, rear naked choke in the second round. Man, this fight was so much fun. These two big motherfuckers, middleweights, uh, huge guys, both heavy punchers. Uh, Mishar is really good on the ground. You know, Pachoda, tough as nails. This dude has is like built from something else, man. These Polish people. Um, he, you know, Pachoda was winning, winning the fight the first round, and in the second round, man, they just start brawling and. Uh, Mishart is able to rock Pachota and Pachota just doesn't go down. He must, uh, Mishart must have hit him with, you know, 20, 30 unanswered shots. He was out on his feet for 60 seconds. They were, they were trading elbows. They were, you know, these guys were throwing haymakers, bombs, going back and forth. Both of them incredible chins. They were both rocked at different times. 
And, uh, you know, at, at some point in the second round, you're like, dude, this has got to be over at any second. Like, they're just going to collapse at one of these punches. But Pachota was just totally, like, brain dead on his feet. He's fallen to the ground. Like, uh, there's, like, a, it looked like a, a takedown you'd see in, like, a, an elementary school playground where, like, a, a big loopy drag to the ground. Uh, Pachota goes like face first into the canvas Has like no no like gas left in his arms To where he can even like break his fall And uh, just eats more punches Eats more punches Just refuses to go out And eventually uh, Mishart uh, is able to cinch up the rear naked choke And just choke him out unconscious man Like they uh, he, he put it in for I want to say five seconds. It looked like Pachota was out one second into the choke. You know, the referee lifted his arm up and it went limp. And, you know, that's always awesome when that happens. And Mishar just, you know, gets off him and dumps his unconscious body. What an an amazing fight. I was watching it at my gym. I was, uh, you know, hitting the bag a little bit uh, after work. And I was watching it and I was freaking screaming. uh, And it was just so so much fun to watch, Um, you know. And, uh... One of, one of the only good fights all night, unfortunately. Next fight, we had Steven Peterson defeat Matt Bissette. Didn't watch this one. Don't think. I was think I was driving home. Uh, again, Bryce Mitchell, Tyler Diamond didn't watch. Uh, John Gunther, Alan Zuniga, John Gunther. This was, again, one of the most lowest-level performances in the UFC. These guys were tough losers. They both lost on their fights and tough and were given another opportunity. And just terrible, terrible people. Uh, you know, skill level, just no, no skill, no submission. You know, they were in terrible grappling positions, just nowhere near UFC level. And the dude even said in his octa- even in his review, uh, post-fight interview, he said, "They said I suck. Well, I guess I do, but screw it, man. At least I know I suck." Like, I mean, it's pretty honest and pretty funny, but shit, <laughs> it was kind of a sad performance. Luis Pena defeated Richie Smolin first rounds uh guillotine show just a squash match Luis Payne looked super good in this one Montana De La Rosa defeated Rachel Ostovich by rear naked choke in the third round four minutes and 21 seconds in so really late finish in this one uh, Montana De La Rosa really chased the finish uh this was a pretty close fight De La Rosa was winning it might have been it might have been 1-1 uh, heading into the third round but De La Rosa was winning the third round very clearly but wasn't content with the decision and uh chased the choke and was able to get it so good performance from her he was able to defeat another good grappler in uh Ostevich so um we also had moving on to the main card we had Alessio DeCirio defeating Julian Marquez split decision really close fight not it was you know you thought there was going to be a knockout. They were throwing pretty heavy in the first round, but then it kind of just teetered off into a decision. Uh, it seemed like it seemed like Marquez should have won. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, it seemed like a pretty bad decision that uh, Deteria won. Uh, he was he was a pretty big underdog after the first round, so a lot of people I think won on him, and they were happy about that. But uh, you know, again, I don't think he won this fight. Uh, again, Roxanne Modafari defeated Bob Hornchuk second round TKO. Man, the TKO prop for this fight was like plus sixteen hundred. Uh, Roxanne Modafari getting her first finish in a really long time over uh, the favorite, pretty sizable favorite, Barb Hornchuk. Roxanne was so happy in this fight. She finally got her first win. She was, you know, been on tough twice. Uh, you know, has never gotten her first UFC win and. Uh, Got that close title shot with um, Nico Montano for the tough finale and was, wasn't able to win that fight. 
So I uh, was able to finally get her first stoppage. And good for her. It was a uh, you know pr- pretty impressive performance. Um, next fight we had uh, Alex Caceres defeating Martin Bravo by decision. This fight didn't really land or leave too much of an impression in my mind to the point where I even like have an opinion about who should have won. So must must not have been too good. Um, Brad Katona defeating Jay Cuccinello uh, again. Same thing. No memory of this fight. Must have must have blacked out in the middle of this card or something. I remember this fight. Co-main event: Mike uh, Trezano defeating. Joe Giannetti. Joe Giannetti is a, like a fancy striker. Uh, got some pretty good uh, submissions as well. And looked like he won the first round of this fight pretty, pretty clearly. And uh, but my man uh, Trizano was a pretty big underdog after round one. And well, he won round two and three pretty convincingly. Joe Giannetti looked terrible. Look, he just gave up and I don't even know. Just didn't want to win anymore. It was a split decision, but Trezano ended up getting it. I thought he definitely won two rounds to two rounds to one. So uh, the right decision there. But I mean, the, these tough guys are so underwhelming. You know, we have the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, which are which are producing some of like the best finishes and best prospects um, in uh, you know in UFC history. You know, just an insane rate of finishes and prospects coming out of this show. And then you have the, you know, Ultimate Fighter, which we're having these boring decisions and, you know, decent prospects and underwhelming performances. And it's shit, man. Um, you know, you, uh, it's, you know they, annou- they announced another fucking Ultimate Fighter for some profound reason. You know, it's going to be, the coaches are going to be Kelvin Gastelum and um, Robert Whitaker. So, you know, that should be interesting for the coach- coach's aspect because it's a good fight at the end. But, uh, you know, the Ultimate Fighter is just such a stale idea. It's going to be hard to get viewership. Um, so that's a problem Problem for the UFC, not us. So uh, in the main event, we had Brad Zavaris taking on Israel Adesanya. Uh, just uh, Israel's third fight in the UFC, and he wins the fight by unanimous decision. 50-45 on all, all cards. Maybe uh, Tavares got like one round or something, but... Uh, Israel just outclassed Tavares, just on the, uh, you know, stuffed uh, Tavares' takedowns. Tavares looked pretty bad in this fight, didn't really set up his takedowns at all. He was going to have to take Adesanya down in order to beat him, and he just couldn't do that at all. Didn't really look like he had too good of a game plan, and, uh, you know, just, yeah, really underwhelming execution on everything on his behalf. Had nothing on the feet pretty gassed out uh, you know I thought Israel could have finished it in rounds four or five for sure but you know I guess you know going proving you can go the full five rounds is, uh, is uh, uh, impressive too and should be good for his future but um, you know g- you know really good performance from Adesanya wouldn't call wouldn't call him like anything too crazy because like we said we've seen him taken down by Vittori and Mike Santiago, or yeah, I think so. And uh, neither of those gentlemen are too good, and they were able to take him down, hold him down, do some damage on the ground. So, a good grappler should be able to handle Adisanya pretty handedly. Um, but that's a problem for the future. So uh, we are going to uh, yeah, tough finale though. Pretty pretty underwhelming card uh, from top to bottom. Nothing too exciting except for that first fight and. You know, Montefiore's TKO, that was pretty good. So, uh, 
the card going down in Boise, Idaho, July 14th. So uh, this card doesn't really have too much, too many odds that appeal to me. I've been looking at the odds a little bit, looking at the matchups, and I don't really have any leans on this card. So I'm, uh, as opposed to the normal podcast, I'm not going to be uh, focusing on the odds too much and reading the opening and you know what the lines are right now uh, because uh, also partially because I'm driving and you know can't really look at them at now. Um, so uh, I'm going just to talk about uh, some of the fights on this card that you know are intriguing. Don't know a couple of them and uh, can't really look up the, the fighters right now, so I'm not gonna not gonna mention those. Or I'll mention them, but I'm just gonna skip over those. So we have first off Jessica Aguilar versus Jody F. Squeeble or S, uh, something like that. So Jessica Aguilar is was uh, I believe she was an atom weight in in. Invicta has been kind of struggling against you know uh, bigger opponents uh, at straw weight in the UFC, and uh, Jody Escobil is was a flyweight now cutting down to 115. So there should be a pretty big size advantage in this one, and uh, you know this fight was supposed to happen I believe a few uh, a few months ago, maybe a, a couple, maybe even a few cards ago, but it was rescheduled to this one. I forget who had to pull. Oh yeah. Jessica Aguilar, uh, they said she looked like tired on fight day and pulled her from the card. Something super, super strange. Uh, so good thing they got this fight rescheduled soon. But, uh, you know, no, like I said, no leans on anything. And I'm uh, just, I'm going to cheer that uh, Aguilar can get a win, though. Next fight, we have Mark De La Rosa, uh, husband of Montana De La Rosa from the card last week, taking on... Uh, Elias Garcia. I don't know anything about these gentlemen, so I'm going to go ahead and skip it. Next fight, we have Liz Carmouche taking on Jennifer Maya. Good old uh, women's flyweight match. You know, Liz Carmouche, obviously not the highest level fighter, has been, you know, in the UFC forever, has a very average record. Not really UFC uh, level in my mind, and it's kind of kind of a bummer. She's still in the UFC, but they need women to fill up these divisions. So I understand why she's still here. Uh, moving on to the preliminary car, we have Kurt Hollaball taking on Rayoni Barcelos. Don't know these gentlemen. Unfortunately, neither of them have Wikipedia pages, so I suspect maybe they're making their UFC debuts, or maybe I'm just not with the times. But sorry, Mr. Holland Ball and Barcelos, I know you're both listening. So next fight we have Justin Scoggins taking on Saeed Nurmagomedov, uh, Khabib's brother, the da- t- uh, official member of Team Dagestan, probably training out at AKA with the boys. Uh, Justin Scoggins is a you know a decent level flyweight. He's got a good amount of experience. Has probably a 500 record in the UFC, but he's also fought uh, a good some pretty good competition. And I imagine Nurmagomedov Madoff is also very good. So it seems like they're uh, you know the UFC was giving him you know a mid level competition person with a little bit of namesake behind him uh, for Saeed to get an easy win in the UFC. So looking forward to seeing how uh, Saeed looks. Uh, so from now on, though, we have uh, some, some matchups where I know uh, all about the fighters. So uh, a little more in-depth from here on out. So next fight we have, which is a damn shame, it's on the prelims. Darren Elkins taking on Al- uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky, I believe, is undefeated. Maybe he's like 17-1 and or something like that. He's 4-0 in the UFC, finished... Jeremy Kennedy in his last fight, 
Uh, just massive ground and pound. He's a great wrestler. Uh, just a, a great pressure. Just good cardio. Not bad striking either. And of course, Darren Elkins, uh, just an incredible fighter. Six fight win streak. Always the underdog, always just losing the fight, always finds a way to come back and win. He's done it in so many of his recent fights. It's incredible. Every single time, oh, man, Michael Johnson just had a 10-8 first round against uh, Darren Elkins. There's no way he's coming back and winning this one. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's Darren Elkins. He took him down. Oh, wait, Darren Elkins tapped him out, and he won the fight. You know, dude, dude's just absolutely incredible. Uh you know, I, I remember it was one of the first times I was discussing uh, fights live with my good good friend Easy Flyer, and we were watching the fight, uh, talking on uh, Discord or Skype or Teamspeak or something like that, and 10-8 round for Michael Johnson was boxing him up on the feet. Michael Johnson looked awesome at his 145 debut, and uh, in between in between rounds, he said uh, only plus 400. I said, only plus 400? What do you mean? Dude just, like, absolutely got wrecked. He looked like he had nothing in that fight. He goes, dude, it's, it's, it's Elkins. They know. They know it's only plus 400 because they know he's coming back. Um, so I was like, what the hell are you talking about? 30 seconds in the round two, Elkins is on his, or, uh, Johnson's on his back. Elkins is on top. Elkins gets the submission. It was the most insane thing ever. And uh, Easy Flyer wasn't even happy because he should have had more. Uh, but that guy's that guy's one of the greats. Uh, taught taught me a lot of stuff. Good good guy. I miss him a lot. So we're gonna move on to. Uh, so yeah. Oh wait. Let's let's. So the prediction for this fight, man. Uh, Volkanovski's tough, man. Uh, someone someone said that uh, you know uh, on Sherdog. Sure someone said that uh, Elkins' luck streak is over. I, I definitely disagree. Calling it luck in any way. I mean, the dude has gritted out some of these fucking victories. You know, the fight against Merced Bethic, losing 12 minutes, 13 minutes in a row, and all of a sudden uh, was it, is it pulls off a head kick and knocks out uh, Merced Bethic in the third round. The dude, there's nothing luck about that. The dude's just one of the toughest, uh, baddest motherfuckers on the roster. But, I mean, Jeremy Kennedy, or excuse me, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky is so technical. He's, so, like I said, powerful. He's uh, you know, I believe he's Australian or New Zealand, New, you know, he's a Kiwi or something, something like that. But he's he's very very good. It's going to be a very close matchup. I think there's going to be good grappling exchanges. If Elkins is able to, you know, get him in his guard, uh, you know, uh, Alexander Volkanovski likes to take you down and stand on his feet and stack you and throw ground and pound from there. Or, you know, go to side control and then rain ground and pound from there. If he is able to do, uh, you know, that, it might, it might be some trouble from Elkins. But it's not like you're going to finish Elkins like that. You know, Elkins' chin is, is, very, is very good. He can take an extreme amount of punishment. He's going to have to uh, try to, you know, maybe get the finish or just pound out uh, Elkins for a decision. But Elkins is never going to be out of it. You know, he's going to be fighting bell to bell. Uh, no wonder there's so much traffic. Big accident. Um, oh, okay, all the people are perfectly fine, though. So, um, looks like they're maybe arguing a little bit. <laughs> so, um, Volkanovski, man, uh, like, 
I, I think that he, he is the rightful favorite in this one. But like I said, Darren Elkins is gonna be is not gonna give him an easy fight. This is gonna be an incredible fight. Like I said, it's a fucking sin that this fight is on the prelims, man. Like these guys four and zero, four and zero in the UFC, six and six fight win streak. Like what the hell are you burying these guys in the prelims for? It's gonna be even more uh, disturbing when we when we look at uh, the one the one fight on the card on the main card where it should be instead. Um, so. Uh, in the next fight, uh, ending the prelims, we have Eddie Wineland taking on Alejandro Perez. Uh, Alejandro Perez, uh, Turbo man, this guy, this guy's funny. He comes out dancing to some Mexican music, and he's you know dancing all around. Looks like a little like uh, mariachi singer, and then he he takes he takes his uh, his you know his gear off, and he's uh, you know just little little quiet scrawny little guy, and he. Uh, is a good fighter though. He's you know he's, he's nothing too flashy, nothing crazy. Wins a lot of decisions, split decisions, maybe decisions that shouldn't have gone his way. I think he's like on a five fight win streak or something like that. It's incredible. He's probably one of the, the lowest level skilled people to have a five fight win streak. Um, but uh, man, I mean he's fighting Eddie Wineland though. Uh, Eddie Wineland's been struggling in his career lately. You know. Never been the same after he got his uh, his jaw broken by somebody. I don't even I don't even remember who. He, he got his jaw broken I think twi- like twice, man, and that's that's an incredibly tough injury to come back from. Uh, so I think that uh, you know Alejandro Perez should should do his thing and uh, squeak out a decision in this one. I'm not expecting too much too uh, too exciting of a fight from Turbo in this one, which is a really unwarranted nickname because it should be like. Slow O uh, for his name. All right, so the the fight on the main card, which I'm not happy about it being on the main card, instead of Elkins and Volkanovski, is Kat Zingano taking on Marion Renau. Kat Zingano, uh, she lost her last fight at UFC 222. It was a close decision. Um, let me tell you who it was against. Caitlin Vieira, she's lost three fights in a row. I mean, she's really struggling to, lately. I mean, she just ha- she looks like a killer, you know, beating up the, the champion right now. Amanda Nunes back in 2014 struggled with activity a lot. You know, obviously had that devastating loss to Ronda Rousey, and uh, you know, just hasn't been the same since. She, uh, you know, just uh, looks a lot slower, a lot less, you know, violent. She was really like uh, uh, aggressive in that fight against. Misha Tate against Amanda Nunes and really just won them on aggression and grit and uh, that seems to be gone. Uh, she's taken on Marion Renau who's uh, you know a very old staple of the division. I say old, I believe she's 39, 40 years old. She's a jiu-jitsu black belt, pretty good off her back. That's where she won her last fight. Uh, Sarah McMahon had her beat in the first round and Marion Renau uh, opened at uh, around plus 600 for s- somehow in between round two and um, it was a big big mistake I didn't hit that line for some reason one of the one of the rookie mistakes I made again easy flyer pointing out to me that uh, after this fight he was like you're an idiot if you didn't bet that plus 700 I'm like I know I know but I, I had a pre-fight on her uh, married now submission okay okay so um it wasn't it wasn't that bad of a, a screw up. 
Um, but yeah, she did come back in that round and, and tap uh, Sarah McMahon from her back. She's got good jiu-jitsu. I mean, I think this fight is very likely to end up on the ground. And I think that uh, Marion Renault should should be able to uh, be have an advantage in that, uh, that department. You know, Sarah McMahon's no slouch on the ground, too. She's a good wrestler. And Renault was able to, uh, I believe, armbar or triangle her pretty easily. So, uh, you know, I believe that she should be able to do that to uh, uh, Inganu, Zinganu, if she so chooses. The next fight on the main card, we have Miles Jury taking on the returning Chad Mendez. Very, very happy to see Chad Mendez back in the octagon. It's funny, I've, I mentioned this before. Uh, you know, Chad Mendez, a couple years ago, uh, is fighting, you know, very often. He's just, you know, any other, any other uh, featherweight. You know, he's good, always great wrestler, good puncher. Obviously, filled in that fight with. Uh, McGregor and had you know one of the biggest fights in UFC history on two weeks notice you know had a ended up losing that fight but still gave McGregor a good performance and you know put in one of like the all-time great pay-per-view moments he was a part of that you know even though he lost man five ten million people probably watched him fight live that night and you know probably 50 million people have watched that fight since then it was really the fight you know McGregor's first UFC title the first pay-per-view that you know broke you know the I think, I don't know, eight or 900,000. So, uh, you know, like I said, he was he was any other featherweight a couple years ago, though. And, you know, obviously had wars with uh, Jose Aldo. Was a, he challenged for the belt three times. He lost to Frank Yeager. Always was a top five featherweight. But, you know, you just didn't really appreciate him a couple years ago. Then he gets suspended for uh, by USADA for... Uh, or you know so what his excuse was is that he has like skull psoriasis on his shins which is some I don't know, skin condition and he uses some cream for you know his psoriasis and that cream was the cream that had you know uh the steroids in it allegedly it's a decent excuse but the dude was probably on the stuff i mean he was always very muscular he was always super jacked always had crazy power and he came from uh, Team Alpha Male, who uh, those guys were, you know, definitely just juiced up, uh, especially earlier in like you know 2013, 14, 15. Uh, those that was like prime time steroids for uh, Team Alpha Male, I would say. So, uh, you know, excited and now that he's uh, you know had two years off and he's and he's coming back from the suspension. It's like oh shit, Chad Mendes is fighting. It's uh, it's exciting all of a sudden again. Um, just because we haven't seen him in a while, so you know I've been keeping up with him a lot, and is like you know he's been doing a lot of like interesting personal stuff. He's got like, you know like a, a beef jerky brand. He's a, a big hunter. He makes YouTube videos and shit like that. So I've been you know keeping up with him. So I'm a little bit of a little bit of a, more of a fan of him now than I was a couple months ago. He actually I think uh, blocked me on Instagram when I I was like talking shit uh, when I disliked him a couple years ago when I was a big Jose Aldo fan. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to see him back. Miles Jury, good opponent. Uh, Miles Jury won his last fight against, let me think who. Let me see who. It was, it was a good fight. Uh, I remember it was a good performance. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, Rick Glenn. Rick Glenn, uh, beat, beat Mike De La Torre before that. It was kind of in a slump, losing a couple of fights before that. And, uh as well one two in a row so not really getting an easy fight to come back against it's it's definitely you know if chad mendez was probably ranked like fifth a couple years ago 
uh, and now he's fighting a guy who's ranked, you know, 12th. So it's definitely a, a winnable fight for Mendez. It's not going to be easy, but it'll be interesting to see what his game plan is, man. Is he going to go in there and try to blast him with his power because he's probably the better striker and, you know, more powerful? Is he going to try to wrestle? I mean, Miles Jury's got really good jiu-jitsu. I believe he's either a brown or a black belt and, uh, you know, has his own academy or school or something like that in uh, Michigan. So, you know, it'll be interesting. But, I mean, Mendez is a very powerful wrestler. Was able to, I believe, take Mendez, or take uh, Aldo down once or twice uh, in his, you know, ten rounds with him. Um, or not ten, excuse me, only six. Because um, Aldo knocked him out once. But, um, yeah, very, very excited for the return of Chad Mendez in this one. And uh, next fight we have Randy Brown taking on Nico Price. Randy Brown looked very good in his last fight. Uh, against Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall is, uh, you know, a great grappler, and Randy Brown was able to, you know, take him, was able to uh, win the fight on the ground. And on the feet, you know, uh, Brown's striking was probably much better than Mickey Gall's. And, but he's fighting, uh, you know, a, a decent striker from himself, Nico Price. Nico Price is pretty pretty hittable, though, has has lost, uh, I don't know, he beat George Sullivan's last fight. Vincent Luque is the fight I'm thinking of, but he lost. He won his last fight against George Sullivan, uh, you know, not too high of a, a high level of an opponent. Um, so uh, I think I would favor Randy Brown pretty heavily in this fight. He's like I said, he's looked way better and more consistent lately, and Price looking sort of inconsistent. Next fight we have Dennis Bermudez taking on Rick Glenn. Uh, Dennis Bermudez again, we're uh, been been struggling a bit lately. He uh, he, he lost a, uh, a split decision to or not a split decision. I believe a unanimous decision to Darren Elkins last year, and uh, be- I believe he was also robbed of a decision against Andre Feely. Yeah, Andre Feely. That was shit. It was so 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 silly. Uh, well, he so first he got knocked out by uh, Korean Zombie. Then he uh, lost a split decision to Darren Elkins, close fight. And then he lost a total bullshit decision to Andre Feely. Just got totally screwed out of that fight. Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't rewatched it, and I believe I bet on Darren Elkins. So, you know, don't take my word too seriously. But I believe that I was very confident that Bermudez won that fight, and it was a screw job. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, he did. Bermuda's just not looking like uh, the old version of himself. He used to be very, very aggressive, and at point, at one point, you know, won six fights in a row uh, before losing to Jeremy Stevens at UFC 189. Taking on Rick Glenn, Rick Glenn lost his last fight to Miles Jury. Uh, before that, beat Gavin Tucker, Felipe Nover. Again, not too high competition. Uh, Again, this fight's kind of kind of surprising. This one's on the main card. Uh, this fight could definitely be on the prelims. You know, the guys are uh, I got Bermudez 0 and 3 in his past three, and uh, like I said, we you have guys that are 6 and 0 and 4 and 0 in their past 10 fights, kind of upsetting their own the prelims. But so be it. Um, and in the co-main event, we have uh, Sage Northcutt taking on Zach Otto. Interesting matchup. Sage Northcutt, his last fight was in his hometown, uh, or in his home state of Texas. It was at UFC San Antonio. Um, or maybe it was Austin, UFC Austin. Uh, but he was pretty much only won the fight based on hometown, you know, favoritism. Really close fight. Uh, it was, he was, you know, taken down in that fight, and 
He it was it was a really great close fight, and like I said, I I was on North Cut decision in that one because I knew that he always gets decision, and I knew that the, that 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 crowd would definitely come into effect. I mean, the dude's been like a, a, a kind of not a celebrity, but a personality in Texas for a long time. Let me get the the name of the gentleman who that fight was against. Um, Theobot Gotti. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Zach Otto won his last fight against Mike Pyle by knockout. You know, not really too, too impressive uh, of, of of a win there. You know, and um, before the fight before that, oh jeez, oh, man, um, the fight before that against Lee Jingling was uh, knocked out really easily in that fight in the first round. Uh, you know, went uh, not really too not really too hard shots that he ate in that one that he went down from. So uh, the chin chin might be a little suspect as Zach Otto, but you know, Sage Northcutt is not really a heavy hitter. Uh, Zach Otto is actually not bad of a wrestler himself, so expect this one to have a lot of wrestling scrambles. But you know, Northcutt is so young and is always improving. It's possible that he could have you know corrected those mistakes that uh, in his last fight and already be looking better in this one. So. Uh, interesting co-main event to say the least. Um, I think that uh, North, I don't know. I, I I think that Northcutt might run into some struggle with this one. Like you said, he just he just squeaked his last victory out, and I think this one will go to this, the decision. It'll be close, <clears throat> and uh, I think uh, Zach Otto might even uh, have a chance of winning this one, or it should be the, maybe even be the favorite. I think Northcutt's the betting favorite right now, though, uh, just on intuition. Next fight we have Junior Dos Santos taking on Blagany Ivanov, take, making his UFC debut. UFC debut against er, against a former champion in you know in a main event. Um, this guy's short, short little Bulgarian or Russian, yeah, Bulgarian dude. He's five foot eleven. That's pretty. That's pretty insane. Compared to JDS, who's a, you know a monster, you know. But uh, he's, this guy's like you know no slouch. He's been in the World Series of Fighting. He's uh, you know won a lot of fights in a row, four fights in a row, uh, a couple finishes in there. Beat Sean Jordan in the World Series of Fighting. So he's fighting you know a decent level of competition. But uh, you know it's hard to, hard to trust Junior Dos Santos at this point in time. You know he's had a lot of knockout losses. He's you know looks hot and cold a lot of the time. Unbelievable. Um, so uh, yeah, it's de- I mean, definitely hard to trust him. Uh, I would uh, you know I'm like I said I'm staying away from betting on all of these fights, but uh, I would especially stay away. I don't know. I wouldn't say especially stay away from this one. You know, it's it's kind of a close in the odds. It's uh, it's not it's not that uh, I believe uh, you know it's within like you know minus one fifty minus one sixty range uh, around the same thing on the comeback at plus one fifty plus one sixty. So uh, interesting interesting main event. You know uh, you know very interesting choice to bring to Boise Idaho. Um, so. Um, you know, uh, I, I would expect someone to go down in this one pretty easily. I, it's unlikely that it'll go to the decision. Uh, I mean, I kind of favor, uh, you know, Ivanov just based on how how iffy that 
um, homeboy Junior Dos Santos has looked in, in his uh, in his recent couple of fights. But you know, this is uh, not a not a bad fight card. Uh, the main event and co-main event aren't too good, but there's uh, some pretty good matchups earlier in that. Like I said, excited to see the uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov's debut and the Darren Elkins and uh, Volkanovski fight should be very awesome. Uh, return of uh, Chad Mendez and uh, the debut of uh, Ivanov, which is uh, should should be good. So pretty good card uh, coming down going down Saturday night in Boise, Idaho. And uh, we talked about the tough finale. We talked about the amazing pay per view that was UFC 226. And uh, you know, I just how pleased I was with everything about that. You know, just a great great memory, great uh, everything. Um, so uh, that's going to be it for this episode of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, hope hope you enjoyed my recap at 226. It was, re- like I said, really special pay-per-view for me, and I hope I put it in a good, uh, you know, rephrasing of how, how the night went down. So, la- ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, enjoy the fights Saturday night, and I will see you before UFC Germany next week. Peace.